I want you to open your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. And uh, I want to talk to you today, this morning, about how the gospel is able to save all of you. You know, we're, we're meant to be a spiritual people, yeah? We are a spirit. You have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. You live in a body. And uh, we understand that, you know, we've lived most of our life dominated by what our body wanted to do or what our emotions or our mind wanted to do, right? You know, whether, it's, whether you're one of those people that's emotionally driven or whether you're one of those people that thinks you've got it all figured out and you're very logic driven, both of those are being driven by your soul, not your spirit. So both need to be corrected. Both need to be fixed. Both need to come under submission of the spirit. And so sometimes what we do is we say, well, I lived all my life being led around by my feelings, or I led all my life being led around by my appetite, or I went all my life being led around by what I thought I could figure out. And when we come out of that, then we say, well, I'm a spirit, so I know i got to be led by the spirit. And, and sometimes what happens is, is that we think, that the body is always going to be a problem, our body's always going to be a trouble, and our mind needs to get out of the way. I don't need to think too much. That's my problem. I think too much. And we just kind of neutralize the tools that God gave us. And I'll tell you something. If you don't, if you don't sign your mind and your body up for battle to fight for the king, they'll fight for something else. David was supposed to be at war with his, his army. The Bible goes out of its way to say this was the time when kings went to, their, went to battle with their armies. He was supposed to be on the battlefield. Instead, he was up on a roof looking at a woman he shouldn't have been looking at. Because he wasn't fighting the fight he was supposed to fight. He lost the fight with his eyes. He lost the fight with his soul. He, began, he, he fell into adultery and eventually committed murder to cover it up. I don't mean to freak you out. I'm sure you're not going to do that. <laughs> but he was supposed to be fighting a fight. And so sometimes we leave uh, these parts, we leave ourselves neutral, and we just say, well, I, I, I'm just going to leave these things neutral. You can't be neutral in, in, this, in this life. You can't leave your mind off. You can't leave your body off. God didn't call you just to not, not uh, use those parts. God saved all of you, spirit, soul, and body. The thing is, when you got born again, your spirit was sanctified, made alive, just like that. Amen, that's a moment of conversion. You know, I hear people talk about being saved, and they, they say, well, it's a process, and you never quite know for sure. You do know for sure. And there is a, I believe there is a moment of conversion because the Bible says you must be born again. That's, a, that's something that has to happen. You don't keep getting born again. Jesus said it happens once. Jesus said in John 3 that you're born of water, then you're born of the Spirit. And unless a man is born of both, he can't enter the kingdom of God. So you've got to be born of the Spirit once. There's a moment of conversion. There's a time of conversion where, you have, uh, where you're saved. You're a new creation in Christ. You are now a child of God. But there is a process of salvation where you keep being saved throughout your whole life. Now, you're saved from hell. Thank you, Jesus. You're saved from death. Thank you, Jesus. But I am still being rescued all the time. I'm experiencing his deliverance all the time. He, he is saving me over and over again. I'm experiencing that salvation. And so my mind is still being renewed to the word of God, isn't it? When you got born again, you didn't all of a sudden just have perfect thoughts. You had to get that under control. When you got born again, you didn't all of a sudden just not have certain cravings anymore. Maybe God took care of some of them, but some of them you had to deal with. And you did by the Spirit of God. In fact, I'm not going to talk about that today, but I'm so tempted to go into that. We'll save it for another time. But the Bible talks about this Holy Spirit gun that you point, <laughs> that you point at these, these cravings and these things that are leading you to death. And it says you put these things to death by the Spirit. And I will tell you, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about this on another day, but I will tell you that a lot of our problems is that we try to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the flesh. And when you try to put the deeds of the flesh to death by the flesh, you only strengthen the flesh. If you're trying to discipline yourself by your flesh, you're saying, well, willpower is what I need. I need to work a little hard. I need good routines and habits. Thank God for good routines and habits. But without the Spirit of God, it's a losing battle. You'll only strengthen the flesh. He says, put them to death by the Spirit. So I want to talk to you about, about, the, about the salvation that's still happening in your life. You are saved. You are sanctified. Thank you, Jesus. 
But there is a sanctifying work that's taking place. I'm becoming more like Jesus every day. If, if not, what am I doing here? Right? You're growing. You're changing. And, and the, the New Testament is full of, of, of instruction on how to walk that out. I know some of us are shy when it comes to instruction. We feel like, no, that's telling me what to do. Don't tell me what to do. Um, you need someone to tell you what to do, right? If someone knows the way, you want to know. Anybody here too proud to use GPS when you're going to a new place? I'm not. For a while, now I had to change our GPS to a different voice because my wife hated the voice that was on there. She didn't like the idea of another woman telling me what to do. So now we have a British guy named Roger who talks to us. <laughs> Figure that out. We'll talk about that in marriage counseling, but um, <laughs> we like Roger. In 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to talk to you about what, what, what the gospel is still doing in your life. The gospel's not done in your life. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus did that you could not do. What Jesus is doing that you could not do. What the Spirit is doing. By the grace of God, you are doing what you can't do. In your weakness, his power is made perfect. In your imperfections, he is showing his glory. He is showing that he is able to do what you can't do. And in the spirit, you're more than a conqueror in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose. Another translation says, arm yourself with the same thinking. You guys ever consider that your thinking could be a weapon for you and not against you? So many of us have struggled with our thoughts, our emotions, our, our things going on in our head. We think our mind is our worst enemy. The problem is, is you, you, when, when the wrong person is in the driver's seat, it's a problem. But when it, they're in their proper place, your spirit is meant to be in the driver's seat. And your body and your soul are meant to be part of that, that, that army, that tool, those tools, those instruments. And so he says, arm yourself with the same purpose, or it could be translated, the same thinking as Jesus had. So your thinking is part of your weapons. That's part of your armor. Uh, there's a reason we have to learn how to, re we have to relearn how to think. We have to let our minds be renewed by the word of God. If I'm not learning how to think like God wants me to think, I will naturally fall back into the patterns of how everybody else in the world thinks. And it's amazing as Christians that we try to mold and shape our Christianity to be kind of a nice version of what the world already thinks. Here's why the world thinks this is a good thing. Well, here's why we could put a Jesus sticker on that and say, that's a Christian thing too. But is it any surprise to you that a world that doesn't believe in God or has rebelled against God, that they may not have the best ideas for your life? Listen, if there is no God, we're wasting our time. If there is a God, that probably changes everything. Right? I'm not just talking about a, an absent God that's, that just molded creation and then left us alone. I'm talking about a God that's involved. I'm talking about a God that's, that's intimately acquainted with us. A God that holds all things together by the word of his power. A God that loved you so much that he gave himself, he gave his son to die for you. That is the truth. That's, that's history. And so if we believe that, then of course we're going to think very differently. Right? So he says, arm yourself with Christ's thinking. And this is the thing. I'm not asking you to arm yourself with my thinking or my purpose or the doctrine of the church, or the dogma of this. I'm asking you to think like Jesus. And we'll get into a minute. We'll, we'll get into what his thinking was. With the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh, or another way to translate that suffered in the flesh is that he died in the flesh. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about his death. It's not just talking about a struggle. It's talking about when Jesus died in the flesh, he died for us all, and he put the deeds of the, the flesh to death. He says, so whoever has died, has suffered in the flesh, has ceased from sin. If you've, if you've died, you've ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Listen to this. The rest of your life in this body is meant to be lived for the will of God. Now, here's what's so so revolutionary about that it says to live the rest of the time the rest of the time you've got on this earth in this body you're used to living based on 
the lusts of the flesh. In other words, whatever my body feels like doing. The Bible talks about a group of Christians, even Christians or, or purported Christians, that are being led around by their bellies. <laughs> In other words, their appetites. Now, now some people, that's literally their, their, they, their it's food they're after. Well, you know, if I, if I want to eat this, I'll eat this. But in reality, he's not just talking about food. He's talking about your, your, whatever you're craving, your appetite. If you can't get a control of those things, then guess what? Your flesh is running the show. So he says they, they're led around by their appetites, whose God is their belly, whose end is destruction, who set their mind on earthly things. And he tells you to, to be different. Set your mind on things above. And he says here, you live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of the flesh. What is lust? I mean, lust is desire, isn't it? But how come lust is never used in a good way in the Bible? You never, it never says, I lust for God. That would be a really weird thing. And somebody would write a song about it, and I would feel very awkward whenever it was sung. There's certain songs I already feel weird about. I would feel really weird about that one. Why is lust never a good thing? Because lust is not just a passionate desire. Lust is a desire that leads to sin. This is why we have to understand that, there, that it's not innocent, that it's not something to be coddled. There are things you feel that you got to put to death. And I'm telling you this because I love you. Because we live in a broken, fallen world, but you are redeemed. You're bought back. You're a child of God. And so you're different now. Something's changed in you. And so I'm not going to live in, in my flesh. This time I got left on this earth, and I don't know how many years I've got, but the time I've got left, I'm going to live for the will of God. That's an amazing thought that you could do that. that. That what God wants, he wants to do through you. Isn't it amazing that God's not just bypassing you? That God's not just like, well, you guys are just, you guys are useless. Let me just, I'm going to send Jesus again. We'll get this done. No, God is going to use you like you're going to fulfill the will of God. And some of us just need to believe that like you've never believed that before. If you have never bought into that, you are going to fulfill the will of God. That's why you're here. And if you just got saved two months ago, praise God, you're on board. If you've been saved for 50 years, come on. It's time to wake up again and resurrect to the fact that you're here for a reason. You're not an accident. You're not just a product of your raising. You're not just a product of your genetics. You are here reborn in Christ. And whoever you were, you're not that now. I know we all need to hear that, right? I'm not who I was. I'm a new creation in Christ. So I'm going to live the rest of my life for the will of God. That's what it means to be born again. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Having pursued a course of sensuality. What does sensuality mean? S sensuality, what's the root word of that? Sense, right? It's being led around by your senses rather than being led around by the Spirit. If I'm led by my senses rather than led by the Spirit, I'm just living a fleshly life. He says, that time is done. You've retired from that game. Pursuing a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And as fun as it is to say abominable idolatries, don't do it. You can say that, abominable idolatries, and you can say it three times fast, but don't do it. What was he saying? he's talking about people, what is an idolatry? It's putting anything in the place where God belongs. It's, it's, it's something, it's when we give our strength or draw strength from something that's not God. It's, it's, it's putting something above its place. And, and abominable means it's hateful to God. God doesn't, God doesn't just say, well, that's cute. God hates it. And he says, that's what the Gentiles do. Now, we should probably address this for a minute because I bet most of us in the room aren't ethnically Jewish. So aren't we all Gentiles? By standard definition, we're all goyim, right? We're all Gentiles. We all eat bacon and egg sandwiches. We put the meat and the cheese together. But... According to the New Testament definition of Gentile, a Gentile is someone who is outside the covenant of God. And the Bible says this, that you have been now grafted in to the family of Abraham. 
You've been grafted into the family. You've got a covenant with God now. So he doesn't call you Gentiles anymore. He calls you the church. He calls you his people. He calls you the the descendants of Abraham, even though you didn't naturally come from Abraham. And so I'm not a Gentile in the sense that I am not apart from God. I'm not outside of his covenant. The Bible says we were far from, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. We were outside the commonwealth of Israel. But now we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That's good news. So I don't call myself a Gentile anymore. I call myself a saint in Christ. I call myself a child of God. And because of that, when he talks about the Gentiles, he's talking about those who don't know God. Don't you understand that we're never meant to look down on people that don't know God? We're never meant to be arrogant about it. We're never meant to just treat them like they're dirt and we're holier than thou. But we are meant to be different. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't this change everything? And he says, the time is done for that. That's done. Peter's talking to people that grew up in this, right? He's talking to people that grew up in in these things. And he says, that time is done. You're different now. And he says, in all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. Dissipation means wastefulness. You're wasting your life. You're wasting your energy. You're wasting everything. He says, your old friends are so surprised you don't do this anymore. You're, you, you just stop being fun. And he goes on, he says, and they malign you because it's not just about you not being fun. It's about your righteousness exposing their unrighteousness. Their problem with you is that it's not that you're not fun. Their problem with you is that by you saying, I'm going to follow Jesus, there is a light in a dark place that now exposes darkness. And we feel convicted. And we feel like, you ever wonder why we feel the need when someone has a higher standard than us, we feel the need to knock them down a peg? Because their higher standard makes your standard seem low. Even Christians do that. Why not just celebrate? If they're following Jesus, praise the Lord. If that's not the same, now listen, if, if we're not talking about flat out sin, we're just talking about they have a standard like, you know, this is, we've had, I, I know families that say we don't watch any TV. Praise God. Now, do I look at them and go, well, now they make us feel like we're worldly because we have a television in our house. They don't watch TV. Now, I got to just tell them why they're part of a cult. <laughs> right? They're part of a cult that doesn't watch TV. Weirdos. Why am I doing that? Because they make me feel like, well, maybe I'm less. No, you don't need to do that. The Bible says, Paul writes it very clearly. If they got a different standard than you, let each one's got to give an account to God. You just need to be fully convinced you're doing what God told you to do. Now, if it's sin in the Bible, we don't, we don't have to argue about that. That is what that is. But I'm talking about those gray areas. But when you're, when you, you know when your friends say, see you get born again, and they're the ones you used to go out drinking with, or they're, they're the ones you used to party with, and all these things, or you used to just gossip at work with all these people, and then, and then you're not doing it anymore, all of a sudden... They don't like that because, what, are you better than me now? But who are you trying to please? Who's more important? Because I want you to know every conversation you have, Jesus is in the conversation. He's standing right there. Who are you trying to impress? Who, who do I fear? Fear the Lord, right? Here's what he says. They'll give an account to him who's able to, ready to judge the living and the dead. Listen to this. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached. You know, this makes my head go up. When he says this is why the gospel has been preached, I think we should pay attention. The gospel for this purpose has been preached even to those who are dead. Now, he's not saying that, that uh, right now there's a preacher in hell preaching this. He's saying even it's preached even to those that have already gone on. The gospel has been preached to them. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. There's a couple things we're getting from this. Now, number one, he's talking about there's a resurrection. He's talking about the fact that though, though these people say, well, we put you to death. We killed you in our stadiums. We, we put Christians to death. Where's your God now? He says, they're, they're alive. You judge them as in, in the flesh, but God, by the will of God, they live forever. But he's also talking about this life right now. Because that's what he said a few verses before, isn't he? This, the rest of the time you have in the flesh. Live it. Be alive in the Spirit. Live according to the will of God. Something happened to us. We were made alive 
in the spirit. And that life is never going to go. Even when your body stops, even when your heart stops beating and your lungs stop working and your brain stops functioning, you are going to continue living. Because of God's will. But here's the thing. Sometimes we've preached that, we've talked about it, we've sang about it, the sweet by and by. And we've acted like there's a switch that goes on the moment we die and we become alive. But I want you to know, that's already happened in you. You've already been made alive in the spirit. Eternal life doesn't start when you die, it starts when you get born again. You've now received eternal life. So live like you've got eternal life. Quit walking around like a dead person and start walking like a live person. And the Bible tells us that here's how an alive person acts. They live according to the will of God. My purpose is the will of God. The book of Hebrews says that when Jesus came, he says, sacrifices of bulls and goats and rams, those sacrifices I desire no longer. I desire a body. I desire someone. And, and the Bible says he came, Jesus came, saying this, I have come to do your will, O God. Jesus goes out of his way to say, that's why I'm here, and that's what makes me happy. He says, that's my food. I love that. The disciples are trying to feed him snacks. They're saying, you haven't eaten in a while. He says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. I wonder if you know that one of the greatest tools in the fight against temptation in your life, in the fight against your own cravings and appetites, is to do the will of God. Jesus says, it satisfies me in a way that nothing else can. I don't mean to be coy, but you know, like if you if you really get addicted to the things of God, it'll it'll really push out a lot of other addictions in your life. And you might say, "Well, you've never had to go through that." No, I haven't. But I've sure walked through it with a lot of people. And I've seen same patterns over and over again, good patterns and bad patterns. I'll tell you, I've seen a lot of people get set free in my life. And the ones that get free and stay free are the ones that don't just say, my goal is to not be addicted. My goal is not to live in sin. They're the people that say, my goal is to do the will of God. I'm here for a reason. Give somebody a purpose, and they'll be free. Tell somebody their purpose in life is just to stop sinning, and they'll go back to sin. Tell them their purpose is to serve God, to be a child of God, to do the work of God. All of a sudden, these hands, what does Ephesians 4 say? Those hands you used to steal. He says, tell the one that, that used to be a thief to stop stealing, but use his hands to work with his hands so that he might have something to give to the one that has need. The Bible tells you if you used to use these hands to steal, now you're going to learn how to use these hands to make, create, and give. Because these hands don't need to just stop doing bad things. They need to have a righteous purpose. Romans chapter 6 says this. I'll just skip there and then we'll go back to 1 Peter. But in Romans 6, and you guys probably know this verse well, this, this section of Scripture well, talks about the death that Jesus died for all. It says, for the death, and this is Romans 6.10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. Isn't that great? Jesus died to sin for you. Like, you don't have to do that. He did that. So because he did that literally with his body, you can walk in that, you can, you can put sin to death and say, it's already dead in my life, right? The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are not just dead to sin, you're alive to God. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, your physical body, so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, why do you keep giving your... Why do you keep giving your hands, your feet, your mind, your mouth? Why do you keep giving the parts of your body that Jesus died to save? Why do you keep giving them to sin and to death? Jesus died for those parts too. He died for your body. He died for your mind. There was a heresy in the early church that, that came out and they had to address it. And it taught that people were just, there, there were two parts. There was your spirit and there was your body. And your body was always going to be bad and your spirit was always going to be good. And there's nothing you could do about the fact that your body was going to be bad, so go ahead and sin because you can't help it. 
But your spirit is always holy and sanctified. Your body is always evil and corrupt. And that's just the way life is. In fact, they even taught at one point that Jesus didn't physically die on the cross. That his spirit and his body were separate. That kind of dualism is not biblical. You know, just in the same sense that God is three persons in one. Spirit, he's Holy Spirit, Son, Father, right? Some of you, like, clicked because I said I'm out of order. <laughs> You're like, wait, is that, no, is that right? Do the math. Honey, do the math. Did he say uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is how we normally say it, right? Did that sound orthodox to you? Now we're okay. <laughs> now you don't have to go to another church or, like, put a video out on YouTube. <laughs> They're putting the order wrong. Oh, God. Um, Right, so, so Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's three, he's one, he's three, he's one. But those three parts are never, are never separate from one another. He's never, he's, he's never divided again. He's not, he's not against himself. He's not a house divided against himself. It's separate enough that Jesus could say, not my will, but yours be done. But at all the time, he's saying, me and the Father are one. And my prayer is that you be one with us like I'm one with the Father. Now, if that hurts your brain, that's okay. It hurts all of our brains because it's bigger than our brains. But I want you to know that you are created in his image. And so just he, just like he's three parts, so are you. Spirit, soul, and body. And Jesus didn't just die for your spirit. He died for all of it. That's why your body will be resurrected. Now, you'll be given a new body, but your body's going to be resurrected. Even the ones that got eaten by sharks are going to be resurrected somehow. I don't know how God's going to do it, but it's cool. Right? I mean, most of those people are worm food now. The circle of life has done its thing, and and somehow God's going to do this. He died for your body. He died for your soul. He died for your spirit. And so I can't just go on and say, well, you know what? My my mind's always going to be my greatest enemy. Stop saying that. It's supposed to be a great tool. Oh, my body's always a problem. I'm always, you know, it's always my enemy. I'm always eating things I shouldn't eat. I'm always looking at things I shouldn't look at. I'm always saying things I shouldn't say. Why does it have to be that way? Why can't you say if Jesus died for my spirit, he died for my soul, he died for my body, that salvation that's in my spirit can be worked out with reverence, with fear, with trembling. I can work out what's inside of me, and it can work its way to the outside of me. He says, quit, quit giving the members of your body over to sin. He says, instead, present yourselves. Here's what's cool. Present yourselves as those alive from the dead. Here I am, alive from the dead. And your members as instruments, tools of righteousness. I love that. There was a day, there was a time, a season, maybe some of you remember it, when preachers would say things like, all right, y'all, I don't want you, I want you to check your, well, I'm not going to, why would I put on that accent? People said it all over the world. But... <laughs> I said, I want you to check your brains at the door. Check your brains at the door. We're, we're talking spiritual things right now. Well, come on, check your brains at the door. That's a really dumb thing to say. No offense. But don't check your brains at the door. It's your mind that needs to be renewed. And funny, it was the same people that were telling you to dance before the Lord. We didn't tell you to check your body at the door. We want you to use your feet, use your hands and clap them together. Some of them, some of us in rhythm, you know, smack them together. Use your, use your mouth God gave you. Use your vocal cords God gave you and sing. We're not just a bunch of ghosts floating around in church just saying, Ooh, I love to sing about it, you know, at the front just like some sort of heavenly divine ghost mosh pit. No, we all came and brought our bodies to the Lord and said, I don't like lifting my hands, but you told me to, so I'm going to do it. I'm shy. I really don't want to dance, but the Lord says dance, so I'm going to, I'm going to do my little two-step shuffle thing. You know, that's, that counts. I know I have a lot of destructive thoughts, but I know God wants me to use my brain. He wants to heal my mind and my emotions. He wants to heal my anxiety and my depression. In fact, I'm going to stop calling it my depression because it's not mine. He wants to heal this part in me that's so broken because it doesn't have to stay broken because he's the healer. And I'm going to use my mind. as an God, use my mind. God, use my head. God, use my mouth. God, use my hands, my feet. These things that used to do evil, use them for good. Because the gospel is still working in your life. 
And the same grace that saved you is able to sanctify you. Going back to 1 Peter, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, be of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it, use it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Yes, don't you see that your mouth that used to speak evil is now speaking the utterances of God. And your hands that used to do evil and your feet that used to do evil are now doing the work of God. And God's going to give you the words to say for your mouth. And he's going to give you strength for your hands and your feet. He's going to somehow supernaturally use all those parts that you thought were long lost to glorify himself. And to serve the church and to serve people around you. When I say serve the church, I'm not talking about the word church. I'm talking about his church, his people. To do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So there's two parts to this. And I hope you've caught it by now, but I'm going to repeat some things and go over it again. The first thing I got to do is put to death the, the old lusts. Jesus said, the Bible says here, the day is past for that. In fact, if you went a couple chapters earlier, chapter 2, you probably could do that without too much um, pain on your wrist. If you just flip to 1 Peter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Hear this. If your soul is now meant to be used for God, if your mind, your will, your emotions, if that's supposed to be used for God, he says there are things which are waging war against you. Remember the, the chapter we started reading started with this, arm yourself. You don't need to arm yourself unless you're at war. I want to tell you, you're at war. But it is God that fights for you. It's Jesus' victory that is the victory we stand in. I'm at war, but he's won the battle. So i got to walk it out. So here he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers, do you ever feel like you just don't fit? You should, because you don't. As aliens and strangers, I'm, 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 I, I, I don't fit. I, I don't match the world around me. Abstain from those fleshly lusts, those desires that lead to sin, which wage war against the soul. So it's not just about God making an abstract group of rules. So he says, I just want you guys to look different. So wear this weird uniform and don't do these things. No, he's saying, I want you to stay away from these things because they are waging war against your soul. And you wonder, people wonder, why, why at one point did I so clearly see the glory of God? Why did I see the glory of God so clear? It was so, I mean, I was so entranced by him. I was so in love. I was, I was, I just, every time I wanted to do something. And we tell people, well, that just wears off. But what if it doesn't? What if one of, what if one of the things that, that is, is happening to us is that our eyes are finally open. We can see the glory of God. And then we just keep letting these things cloud that picture. We keep letting things get in the way so we no longer can see so clearly. Our world is twisted. Our world around us is, we, we don't see it as it is. We don't see him as, it, as he is. And so we kind of just start going through the motions at church and we go through the motions at home. And, and then at some point we wonder because we wake up and we say, why am I even doing this? You don't even know that your own soul was not meant to be left out of the fight. It was meant to be put in the middle of the fight. God wants to capture your soul. He wants to capture your imagination. He wants to capture your heart. And you have to know that it's not just you and God in the world. There's an enemy. And there's a world around you that, that right now is bombarding you with stuff all the time. With ideas, with pictures, with worldviews that are contrary to what God is saying. And if you don't know you're at war, you won't pick up the tools to fight. Chapter 4 said, arm yourself. 
with this thinking. I urge you as aliens and strangers, stay away from those fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Don't self-sabotage. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good works that God is doing through you, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Skip on down for a second because we, we just said that we're supposed to arm ourselves with the thinking that Jesus had. Do you want to find out what Jesus was thinking? Do you want to see what he was thinking, what his purpose was? Do you? Okay, good. I was just double checking. <laughs> Sometimes I ask these questions and they're not rhetorical at all. Look at this with me here. He says this in um, 221. He says, For you've been called to this purpose, or for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for sin. See, that sounds very familiar, right? Apparently, we're on the same theme that we're on by the time we get to chapter 4. We're just doing it backwards because we want to have fun that way. Since Christ has also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Wait a minute. I thought he suffered so I didn't have to suffer. What's he talking about? He died. You're not going to have to die on the cross for your sins. You don't have to bear the, you don't have to bear the stripes for your healing. Jesus did that for you. But he says, I want you to die to this stuff too. Die to the flesh. Go ahead and put that to death. The Bible says you don't do it by the flesh. You do it by the spirit, by the grace of God. You put to death the deeds of the flesh. And he says, Christ suffered for you. Now, there's two types of suffering that Peter talks about. He talks about the suffering in the flesh against sin. In other words, putting that to death. And he talks about just walking after Jesus and people just being terrible to you because you're following Jesus. And he says, Jesus went through it. So will you. That's okay. He's going to take you through it. Don't be afraid of it. Suffering's not a bad word. It's, it's, it's a righteous word. You just got to learn what it means, right? He says, Christ suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin. Listen to this, and live. There's two parts. You die to sin, but you live to righteousness. Well, see, that's the kind of church I want to pastor, a bunch of people who are alive to God. I don't want to pastor a dead church. I want to pastor a living church. It's not enough for you just to die to sin. you got to wake up to Jesus. you got to wake up to righteousness. Live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. I love that. For by his wounds you were healed. Here's why you can. Here's how you can live to righteousness. Because by your wounds he was healed. Because of what Jesus did for you. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. We were constantly straying away. And I want you to know that people don't stray for some of the same reasons we think they stray. People don't stray when you're, I mean, Jesus told three stories of, some, of people getting lost and then found. In, in one chapter in the book of Luke, he tells three stories. The first story is a, a coin. Or he tells, well, let's just say three of them. So he, one story he tells about a sheep that wanders off and the shepherd leaves the 99, he finds the sheep. Another, he tells the story of a woman who loses his valuable coin and she searches all over the house and then she finds it. And then he tells the story of a son that's lost because he goes away. Sheep are lost because of nature. It's their nature to stray. Coins are lost because of neglect. person is lost because they've made that decision. They, there was something else that caught their attention. So which am I? Well, I used to be the sheep that was just prone to wander, right? I, I used to be the sheep. We all, before you knew Jesus, you were just the sheep that was prone to wander. You didn't know any different. But now he brought you back into the flock. For most of us now as believers, it's not really... We don't just wander by accident. When a believer wanders away from God, when a believer falls away from God, it's, it's not the same thing that caused you to fall away before. Because now you've seen. Now you know. And I'm not saying it's the same for everybody, but there's something 
that draws us, when we begin to let other things catch our vision, when we let other things catch our heart and catch our imagination, if you don't start to deal with the things that are waging war against you, eventually they'll take their toll on you. You won't even think you're wandering. You'll think you're doing the right thing. Somehow you'll justify it in your mind because your mind has now been compromised. So how do I keep myself in the will of God? How do I keep myself, my mind on track? We've returned. We used to stray, but now we've returned to the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. And I go back to arming myself with the attitude Jesus had. What was the attitude he had? He kept entrusting himself to a God who judges righteously. He didn't try to get himself out of it. He could have sinned and got himself out of it. He could have lied and got himself out of it. He didn't. He said, I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to act worldly. I'm not going to let this change who I am. I'm going to trust God because God has not forsaken me. And he will not forsake me. Jesus just kept his eyes fixed on the judge of all things. He says, God will take care of this. God will judge this. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm going to constantly. He kept entrusting his soul to a God who judges righteously. You've got to keep entrusting those parts of you that you're so worried about. Oh, I'm worried that I'm going to fall back into this thing. Stop worrying and start trusting. Trust that the same Jesus that saved your spirit wants to save your soul, save your body. He's able that that gospel that saved you is going to continue to save you and get you out of pits and, and mud and all those other things. And then we truly look at him. Because I truly believe that God wants a people whose souls are captured by his glory. I believe God wants a people that are so entranced and just so amazed by him that nothing else could compare Honestly, a church that's looking at God and just beholding his glory and singing about it and talking about it, nothing else comes close. You ever been in the presence of God? There is nothing else on earth that compares to that. Everything else is a cheap substitute. If we just keep doing Christian things without engaging our body and our soul in the battle, we just keep trying to stay out of trouble. You've already fallen into it. God wants all of you. He saved all of you. And if we could just behold that, if we could say, I'm presenting myself as one alive from the dead. I'm presenting my soul to you, my mind. Here, use my head. Lord, teach me how to think like you think. Lord, use my hands, use my feet. I read a, I read a quote the other day by a French guy that, that lived in the early 20th century. And I don't know, maybe you've heard this before, but let me read it to you because I really love what he said. He said, if you want to build a ship, anybody here want to build a ship? Tony, you want to build a ship? Come on. All right. Got to go to the Nova Scotia guy. Do you want to build a ship? All right. You might feel like Noah building one in the prairies, but all right. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood. Don't assign them tasks and work. But rather... Teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. You just tell them to do work. Tell them to go chop wood. Tell them to do a bunch of tasks. They're not going to stay captivated by that. They're going to say, why am I doing this? I'm tired. I'm bored. But if you teach them to long for the immensity of the sea, the point is not the ship. The point is the sea. We build the ship so we can explore the sea. See, if you teach people to engage their soul and long for God like David did, my soul longs for you. I think about you when I'm in bed at night, David said. I meditate on these things. I mean, if you teach people to just gaze on the glory of God, then you don't have to talk them into doing things for God. They are captured by him. They'll want to do it. I find that Many of us who struggle with the things of the flesh that are still waging war against our soul, other things capture our attention when our attention isn't already captured. You can't leave your body in neutral. You can't leave your brain in neutral. Engage it in righteousness. Let the gospel keep saving you. Let the gospel keep changing. Let the gospel keep redeeming what was 
formerly lost and formerly stolen from you. Let the gospel wake you up again. And I pray that today you're woken up. I know that God is continually waking me up. You never reach a point where you're done. I've never reached a point where I was done growing. I hope you haven't either. Today is your day. Today is all of our days, isn't it? Today is the day of salvation, guys. For us and for others around us. So I want us just to dedicate ourselves anew. If you would stand with me. We're going to just give yourself over. Just trust God with your whole body, your whole life. Thank you, Jesus. You know what I've seen in, in, um, in life, I've seen in ministry, I've seen people who had diseases that were never supposed to leave your system. Even if they went into remission, they'd always be there. I've seen them completely made whole and cleansed of those diseases, and they never came back. They were, they, doctors couldn't find them anymore. My father-in-law is a testimony of that. He had a disease that was never supposed to leave his blood. And when he got healed, he didn't just get healed, like put into remission. They couldn't find a trace of that disease, and that is medically impossible. Now, that's physical. Could God do that for you in every area? Where the, 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 the curse that was on you, the trace of the curse, the death that was on you, dominating your life, that you don't have to go through just saying, well, I'll always have that struggle what if you could be so healed that you put that thing to death and it doesn't master you and you're not afraid of it anymore? You're not worried that someday it'll creep back? What if you could just say, I'm different now. I'm born again. That thing is dead. I've never met a person who's stopped having to deal with sin. There's never a point where you say, yeah, it's not even a problem. Nothing's a problem. No but you do learn how to walk in victory all the time. I just want you to know today is a day of victory for you. I want us to present ourselves to God. I want God to capture your attention. I want his love to wake you up. I want his truth to wake you up. I want his righteousness to become your righteousness, just like Jesus died to make happen. So today... Lord, here we are. Our hands are yours. Our mouths are yours. Our feet are yours. Our hearts are yours. Our minds are yours. Our desires are yours. God wants your desire. God doesn't want you to be a not on a log that just has no desire for anything and just says, I've neutralized my desire. I don't, I don't desire anything. God wants you to be so full of desire but godly desire. God's people are not to be led by their passions, but they are meant to be passionate. Praise God. He called you for it. He prepared you for it. Don't you know God gave you emotion? Like your creator gave you emotion. Every desire in you for evil is just a twisted desire that was there for good. There is no lust of the flesh that didn't start out as something good that Satan tried to pervert. And so know this, the way out of it is not just saying, well, I won't do that anymore. Put that to death, but, but come alive. And some of us, the, the problem isn't that you're out there in the world doing worldly things. Some of you have, have stayed away from that. You've, you've gotten your life cleaned up in a sense, but, but you've lost the love and the glory of God, you're not, it's just, it's just a routine now. It's just something you do, and, and God's got so much more for you. The gospel is meant to wake us up. The resurrection power of Jesus is meant to resurrect us every day. And if you feel like you've fallen asleep, if you feel like <laughs> the only safe thing for me to do is to stay asleep, God put me in a coma because I don't trust myself awake. You don't know what it's like to be awake to righteousness. Come awake to righteousness. Come awake to God. Come awake to the will of God for your life. You are not a problem. 
that God is trying to keep at bay. You are a tool that he's trying to use. You are an instrument he wants to play. You are somebody he wants to put to work. You are, so, you are his child. You're not just working for him because he'll pay you at the end of the day. You're working because it's the family business. And you've been made in his image. And so the things he has, he's given to you. And he says, walk with me. Walk out my purpose because you're part of my business. You're part of my purpose. Arm yourself with this purpose. Pick up your weapons again. Stop resigning yourself to it's always going to be this way. Pick up your weapon and fight. And fight in the strength of God. Fight in the weapons he gave you. Not one battle you're ever going to fight is a battle that he hasn't already seen the end of. He's already won it for you. Jesus already won this battle for you. He, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Death and all his friends were defeated. 